Welcome back to What We Don't Know. I'm out here with my producer, Phineas. Phineas, you want to introduce our guest? Absolutely. This week we have on Justin Kamine, who I would describe him as a business builder focusing on businesses that have global impact. Things like how do we recycle all of the cardboard waste in the world? Yeah, he is solving, this is all about the circular economy. He's figuring out how do we keep producing the things we need without exhausting our natural resources. Uh, and oftentimes that's by renewing or, or you know recycling the stuff that we're currently using. When you hear these ideas about the circular economy, is that in your mind, a way out of all of this, you know, a, w- a way of undoing so many of the, the binds that we're in from an environmental perspective, from a business perspective. As someone who's like very invested in systemic reform and political, you know, solutions, there's definitely things we can do over in that branch. But I would say the circular economy, private sector solutions are probably the most pragmatic people I know, right? The people who are spending their time over there are the most pragmatic people I know. Because it's almost like they're the backup plan. They're like, let's say we don't pass that piece of legislation or we pull out of the Paris Accords again. Or we, these guys, these capitalists, that's like, well, let's assume no, you know, nothing changes. How do we win within the current rules of the game? And so I think sometimes people get lost in the sauce and be like, this is the theory of change, definitely. No, no, this is the theory. We need everyone all the time because we don't know what's going to play out. We need everyone kind of pushing wherever they feel like their highest point of leverage is uh, so we can have a solution, <laughs> if not many, in the near future. How would you, so how would you describe Justin's unique approach to his industry, to his activism? So one thing that's cool is it's family oriented. So his father kind of, you know, started this all off and, you know, Justin and his brother have become a part of it. The idea, it's almost like this Avengers situation where they like look out and they're like, what is causing harm in the world? They're like food waste, like run over and build some infrastructure yeah. that, uh, you know, addresses it. And then they like look back out on the rise and they're like, it's the cardboard, right? And run out and build something else. And the fact that they're able to do that effectively in like so many different industries, it's just really compelling that, that these guys are able to kind of, they found a template Mm. within capitalism that works and they can apply in so many different places, which has been really cool. Awesome. Well, let's hear from the man himself. Let's get into it. I've heard a lot about the circular economy. I know a lot of people creating a lot of different solutions in the circular economy. I don't know anyone attacking as many problem areas as you're attacking. And so let's talk a little bit about the different issues you're going after, because they're all part of the same problem, right? You spoke about it with me earlier, that we're producing too much, the population's going up, and we're not going to be able to always tap into new resources for an ever-growing population if we keep doing things the, the way we're doing them. Yeah, so uh, it's a great question. I think there's an understanding of the background of kind of where we've come from as a family that then has gotten us to this position to then recognize the size and the scale of the problems and the size and the scale of the solutions. So my dad started off as a plumber, literally installing boiler rooms. And over the past 30 years, we've developed about $4 billion of infrastructure pioneering different industries. We were the, one of the first ones to do natural gas co-generation in the mid 80s. And it was this c- completely closed loop system. And that's the whole thesis is we have to become economically viable first, followed by sustainability. And if you can create that equation, 
holy shit, you could really do something at a massive level because you can work with some of the biggest companies. So when we started to focus on about five years ago, the whole notion of circular economy, in my, in our opinion, I mean, we came up with the thesis as a family, recognizing what we do, that we're all screwed as a society if we don't get there. You heard the kind of the opening. It's resources are going down, populations going up, and there's a tremendous inefficiency in the middle. And so when we started to really focus on, okay, what's the largest waste streams across the United States? We first focused on the food waste. 40% of all the food that gets grown gets thrown away. And if food waste was a country, it would be the third largest greenhouse gas emitter. That's insane. And that's just calculating the actual food going to landfills where it creates methane gases. It does not calculate all of the energy, time, and resources put into creating that food. Right. You're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars are wasted and the farmers just losing out on all this, let alone the destruction of our soil and our soil health. So we sat there and said, okay, great. We truly believe in biomimicry, that nature has all of the answers. It's just up to us as engineers and entrepreneurs to figure that out, leverage that, and utilize it to its maximum benefit. So from a food waste perspective, we started to work with the largest supermarkets in the country. They're throwing away tens of millions of dollars of food every single day. They, of course, try to donate as much as they can to local food banks. But we as now KDC.Earth are actually picking up 200 tons of food every single day. No local food bank can take that much. Who's the greatest like perpetrators? Like this, this food waste, where's it coming from? Are these big grocery chains? Yeah, so I mean, it's the processors. It's, it's on the farm. Um, and great companies like Imperfect Produce and all those co companies are really helping to utilize, make the farmers more money and upcycle those materials as quick as possible in the local area. It then goes to the processors and, the, and, and they're losing a, a large amount of food waste. But then it also goes largely to the supermarkets and they throw about 40 percent of the food that they consume or they have on their shelf. Forty percent of that goes away. I mean, think about that. Two out of every five grocery bags just gets thrown away. Right. What's the reality of the situation? You and I as a consumer, no matter what supermarket we walk into anywhere throughout the country at any time, we want all of the, the options, right? If we walked in there and they didn't have blueberries, they didn't have avocados and they didn't have plant-based protein and, and chicken, you would walk away. Right. You go to the competitor. Exactly. And so they lose out. So they, it's just the reality of the food system now that we as consumers desire everything at all times, no matter the season. So with, with the supermarkets, they're throwing away a lot of product every single day, about a ton of day for each supermarket. 2,000 pounds of food gets thrown away. So what do we do? If you look at the FDA and the EPA food hierarchy, the best maximum usage of that food is to be fed to humans, of course. The best next maximum usage of that food is to be upcycled into an animal feed. And so that's what we're doing. Composting and, la and, land and waste to energy is at the bottom of the bottom. Composting is letting all those nutrients de to degrade, and then you sprinkle it on the soil and hope. I, I was going to ask you, yeah, what does currently happen to that waste? So, so, so each store is generating 2,000 pounds of waste a day. It, it currently is sent to a compost uh, landfill? Yeah, either a compost or a waste to energy. Um, but if you think about food at 75% water, it doesn't really convert well to a good fuel. It doesn't burn well. You're burning water. Right. And from a compost, what is com compost is great for a local at your farm or at your house or local. It's fantastic. But from a large scale, when you look at the food that the supermarkets are throwing away, it's food that you and I would still eat. It's still literally fresh. Right. But it's just reached its sell by date. Right. It, the moment that it reaches its sell by date, you and I would keep it in our fridge for another five days and eat it. 
but they have to, by law, get rid of it. Right, we're not talking about like empty banana peels. We're talking about r- real food that is still consumable. Yeah, and, and so what we do is we actually keep that in the cold chain so it's still fresh. We have to use these big like Yeti coolers. It looks like a big cooler that you would take to the, the beach, and it maintains the cold chain both for the meats and for the produce. And we bring back 200 tons every single day to each one of our processing facilities. We're building 40 of these nationwide to solve food waste over the next five years, but each one consuming about 200 tons. We put it through a grinder like your teeth. We digest it. Within three hours, we pasteurize it, blend it like a wine for nutrient consistency, and then we dry that product to look and feel exactly like an animal feed that can go right back into the feed mill infrastructure to grow a better, healthier, more sustainably grown animal production protein process and actually create a completely closed loop system. What's fascinating is that when we all used to grow up on farms as 18th and 19th century, we used to take our leftovers from our dinner plate and feed it to our chickens, pigs, and pets out back. They grew healthier. They grew without antibiotics. We had a closed loop system. We actually cared about our animals. Right now, we just force feed them a bunch of bullshit corn and soy and call that the, their diet. They're not wanting that to eat that. They wouldn't eat that in a natural diet. They would actually eat what's on our dinner plate in a much better way, and they grow healthier. Right. You hear people talk about it. Even if they don't know these numbers, you talk. so many people say, oh, we waste so much food in this country. You hear it over and over again. Exactly, because everyone does it in their kitchen table, right? Everyone scrapes the last thing and being, oh, that's good food, but I just, I'm not hungry or whatever. Oh, I don't feel like eating that anymore. Right. And, and so it's tangible to everyone and it was tangible to us. And then when you look at the stats and say our soil health is declining, it's it's literally I mean, we have 30, 40 more years left of soil uh, nutrients to continue to grow our crops and all of the time, energy and resources that those farmers put in to growing those crops. And 40 percent of it goes to waste. And the notion of the other aspect of it, when we do throw away that food, it's the third largest greenhouse gas emitter outside of U.S. and China as a country. Those are two massive problems. You, you saved me from asking the dumb question, which is like, what is the problem with throwing away all this food? And you mentioned we have 30 to 40 years. Say it back to me. 30 to 40 years of, of healthy soil? Yeah, so, so we have 30 to 40 more years left of soil health to continue to grow our crops the way that we are, right? Because we are trying to mass produce crops. What are we doing? We're putting a lot of fertilizer on it, chemicals. The, the soil is literally, there's in, in a cup of soil, there are more nutrients, microbial activity, than there are people in the world. Those microbial activity and, and those microbes rely upon good food, just like our human body. That's what everyone talks about, the gut, the gut right? right? Everyone's talking about probiotics and prebiotics, the gut health, right? Soil health, if you think of it as the gut health that grows the crop, well, we're just dumping a bunch of chemical fertilizers on it, killing the microbes, just like if we just took a bunch of synthetic chemicals, we kill our own bodies. Well, the soil is having that same reaction, sitting there saying, I can't produce any more food for you. And so when you pair that with then the animal production process, and you sit there and say, 80% of the corn and soy that we grow is fed to animals. It's not their natural diet. It's just the arbitrary government incentives plus broad acre crops. On top of we're destroying 200,000 acres of the Amazon rainforest every single day to grow more corn and soy to feed our animals. It's like you look at all this system and it's if you believe in climate change or not, it's simply a math equation. I imagine economically what you're up against 
even though it's intuitive that like obviously circular systems should be cheaper than like always trying to build new things, we've been able to rape and pillage the earth for its resources for a while. And so economically, what you're up against is, is your innovation cheaper than this pillaging of, of our planet and exhausting our resources? Is, is it just basically about getting to a certain scale where those economics tip in your favor? How does that work? I think it's, it's twofold. One, yes, we've got it to where it's an economically viable situation for both the supermarkets that throw away the food and for the farmers that grow, that grow the food, right? And then we're sitting inside, of course, as a profitable business as well, because the only way to have the greatest impact in the world is also to have the greatest profitability, which then enables you, if you're a good person, to continue to funnel and fuel good, better ideas. But when you look at the reality of the magnitude of the situations, a couple of the largest food companies... I mean, they slaughter 40 million chickens per week, right. 125,000 cattle per week, 465,000 pigs per week. If we all want, as a society, the capability to have affordable and accessible food, we have to have all of it. I look at it as if we can change the system of the largest four or five food companies and make them become amazingly more environmentally progressive, that's a huge shift of society because we can't just build from the ground up. We got to get the top guys to say consumers care. And that's the biggest thing. Consumers care now. Gen pop, everyone actually wants to contribute and be good for plate and planet. At the same time, find that harmony between I want to eat healthy. I want to eat delicious. And I also want my food or my products to actually do good. Give back program to the right people or give back program to the environment. And you can create that ecosystem that's all encompassing. That's where we all have to get to. I imagine, like as I'm thinking about this this issue, one of the allies that is intuitive for you to have, but I don't know to what degree they're leaning in, is the government, right? If the U.S. government is is looking at their soil and saying, if we don't help companies like KDC Ag succeed here we're going to be in trouble. Now, the government doesn't always do what's intuitive, though. So I wonder to what degree are, are have you seen you know, the government lean in and say, hey, we'll subsidize your product to a point where you can be competitive, et cetera. Are you getting partnerships like that? Is, is that not happening yet? Is it just too far out for like current politicians to care like that? How's it working? So, so you know, you know the, one of the most agreed upon uh, bipart- or, uh, bipartisan issues in the transfers from the Trump era to the Biden era was actually food waste. It was, it was remarkable. We unfortunately have the ingrained incentives from the government for the past 40, 50, 60 years still focused on corn and soy mm. and still focused near nearly $8 of incentives goes to oil and gas for every $1 of renewables which is a not a talked about stat. I had someone else break down the corn subsidies to me the other day too. The corn subsidies is wild. Like some of the some of the numbers over there how much we're spending subsidizing corn which is non-digestible to us and, and and not great for all the animals we're feeding with it. And and you look at all the cornflakes and all the kind of sugar then products that we all have. It's like, right. what are we doing, right? So we need to have the right proper balance, but we also need to recognize and rationalize. We can't just be the esoteric liberals that we get called. It's like, we got to be the rationals of, okay, we got to also feed 340 million people. And a lot of those people need really cheap, affordable, good, accessible food. So I think government incentives will be a promoter of the right 
renewable and, and regenerative agriculture practices, from a business perspective, we never rely upon it. Mm. Like I said, the gov- governments are slow to act. I mean, we've been talking about food waste now for since Obama's first era, and now we're finally getting to scale, but it's not because of any government incentive. I think you're right in that we need all the solutions. We need the North Star of the type of society we want to have. And we also need the pragmatic solutions that make sure we don't burn it down in the in the intermediate. But it sounds like all these systems, whether it's you know saving forty percent of our uh, food production, they start to get us to more sustainable levels of what the earth can actually produce at the scale we're currently at. Yeah, it's, I read a stat the other day that if all of the world consumed at the level that the United States consumed, each consumer we would need four and a half worlds worth of resources. Just think about that, right? So in, in our time frame, I mean, by 2050, right, there'll be less fish in the sea than, than plastic, right? We have a, a huge soil problem. It's a terrifying statistic. Less fish in the sea than plastic? It's the reality, right? So you combine that with then, we have 30, 40 more years left of soil. How are we going to grow our crops, right? We, we have all of these emissions and all of these everything, and you start expediting that across literally every single major business. And, and so it's, it, I am extremely optimistic because I looked at COVID and actually obviously complete economic and, and loss of life and devastation, so many aspects. What was, the, what was the shining light in my opinion? The recognition of how quickly the earth started to change, mm. which shocked me, right? All of a sudden in Venice, you start to see dolphins swimming through the, the alleyways because it was cleaner water and there wasn't the emissions from boats. Right. All of a sudden you got 10% reduction of air pollution across every major city. And it was like, wow, the earth is literally the most incredible thing ever if we just weren't the freaking idiots that we are. Tremendous capacity to heal itself. We just can't always be in the red. Yeah, exa- exactly. We can't always be in the, in the red, exactly. So if we can get to a carbon neutral waste-free system that's actually upcycling all the materials, it's economically viable. It's resource effective and efficient. It increases national security. It creates new jobs and economy and infrastructure development. It's like, what what did I miss from the political landscape? And I don't need incentives for it. Right on. And and it's I got to give credit, right? It's the consumers. The consumers drive all of this, right? If if they care about it, companies will start caring about it. Shout out to Greta. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Come on the podcast, Greta. There we go. Let's get her. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all the consumer driven. If, if consumers simply just say, I want this. And then when we come out with a carbon neutral chicken or whatever it may be, and all of a sudden it's flying off the shelf, just like plant-based protein, it was a niche. And now it's like, it's a staple in every supermarket. And it's like, that's the power that we have. All right, man. Well, you know, this has been, uh, this has been awesome. We've wrapped this thing up with a couple quick hitters, three quick questions, a sentence or two, and then I'm going to just give you the floor. So quick hitter number one, what's the most impactful book you've read lately? Shoe Dog. It's the only business book that actually tells you what real life is about, where it's not, here's in my 10 lessons. Here's just the story of being a crazy freaking entrepreneur and 10 years before it even became Nike. Number two, who's a change maker you've been inspired by recently? Elon's always the easy one just because it's like the size and the scale that I kind of admire. But I'm, I'm going to go I'm going to go with the, the, the Reddit team for GameStop because I <laughs> love sticking it to the man. I think I think the arbitrary bullshit of short sellers. I would love to have a short seller come on this and have him explain one contribution to society that they have made. Yeah, why it's valuable. Yeah. 
making money off of other people's money to doing nothing is the easiest thing ever. All right, last one, and then floor is yours. What habit most helps you do what you do? This is going to sound corny because I don't really have many habits. I think it's just literally smiling every day. And I, I, and I, I get that a lot where it's like, oh, you're just kind of always smiling. And it's like, yeah, life sucks. Sometimes you're, you're laying in your bed, staring up, being like, how the hell am I going to figure this out? And I got full anxiety, depression, all that type of stuff, right? But there's something unique about that. Just if you're just smiling and you're embracing life and just saying, screw it, 100%. what the hell, I got to go for it. And you know what? And you become comfortable with yourself that there will never be anyone in my life or anyone that I care about in my life that says, you know what? This kid didn't try his hardest. And if I can live with that, then great. Businesses go up and down and left and right. You know, on this show, we talk about a lot of heavy things. And uh, and people are surprised at how light the conversations can be sometimes and, and how much happiness is in it. But if you're going to solve hard problems, you need sustained energy to do so. These things aren't going to be solved overnight. And so if you're coming from a place of like tragedy, you're just not going to be able to stay in the game long enough. You need to be able to celebrate the wins and enjoy this journey. Uh, and you do it so well. I've known you for years now and you really personify that. And, and not only, you know, bring that into your work, but you really bring it to other people too in their work. It's uh, I've seen you light up so many other people that are taking on hard challenges. Uh, so I, I really do think that's truly something you're bringing to the table every day. It's really wonderful. All right, man. Well, it's all over. Thank you for joining us. The floor is yours. You get to say whatever you want in this part, but whatever you have to share about you, your work, whatever, the floor is yours. Well, first off, thank you, buddy. I, I you, you do such amazing work as, as well and, and everything that you're doing. Kind of goes back to my thesis, and I say this in, on every panel that I'm ever on. It's the world's fucked, and, and we got to unfuck it. And it's up to us as a generation to do so whether that be the stock market, whether that be societal justice, uh, criminal justice, whether it be economic inequality, whether it be healthcare inequality or, or racial injustice or environmental dynamics. It's like the world is fucked across so many broad spectrums. And it's also the biggest opportunity and the, uh, the biggest way that we can all unify behind this because it is outside of the aliens coming, the only fucking thing that we have left. And it's like, the timing that we have is actually now quantifiable. And it's like, if that doesn't make you excited as well as to like, shit, by the time we're our parents' age, what the hell is happening? We have the real clock in the movie, like that scary clock that's like in those Nick Cage movies. In the night. We got, we got the, the bomb counting down for real. And so you're right. If, if you can't get motivated around that, there's not, much, there's not much left. Well, brother, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for listening to What We Don't Know. If you're looking for more content like this, you can head over and be a supporter on our Patreon, patreon.com slash WWDK. You can also follow us on social. We're WWDKpod on Twitter and Instagram. I hope this finds you happy, healthy, and safe. All right, take care. <laughs>